Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Osswell. And today we have, holy smokes, this is a good one. It was the CRO of Vanta, the one and only Stevie Case. Mark, why should people listen? Well, Armand, I think there's two reasons that they should listen to this one. One is you have two of the most professional transitions in this podcast that mankind has ever known. You put in ESPN desk jockeys to shame, my brother. So that's number one, why they should listen. <laughs> but number two is like, Stevie Case is one of the greatest revenue leaders that I have met. She is succinct. She knows what she's talking about. She has frameworks. She talks from experience. And I think that anybody that listens to this episode is going to walk away thinking, I wish I could work for her. Boom. And a three, two, one. Let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. This actionable tactic on selling to power is sponsored by SalesLoft. Don't start from zero when a champion introduces you to power. Explain the three to four priorities you learn from the champion, but then ask them to validate what's really important to them or what we missed. And we partnered with SalesLoft to give you a whole bunch of talk tracks on selling to power. The link is in the show notes. All right, Stevie, welcome to the show. We start every show with your top three actionable leadership takeaways. Let's get your three. All right, let's go. So number one, I've got the burn down. And this is a practice I love to run. The idea is you wanna drive incredible inspection and urgency at the end of every closing period. So what this looks like for Vanta, we close on a monthly basis. The last week of the month, every morning, 30 minute meeting, put all of your open deals in a spreadsheet from the biggest to the smallest by size. And every single AE has to show up for the call. They tell you status of the deal, any key blockers and the next steps, it's gotta be 30 seconds or less. You're looking for a written update of two sentences, maybe three. The key is get to the heart of the matter and have them present in front of the whole team to make sure they're accountable to get to close. Boom, burning it down. What's number two? Okay, uh, number two, this is a little more leadership focused. This is flip the focus. And sales leaders love to celebrate. We love to ring the gong and celebrate all the wins. 
But the higher up you move in an organization, the more you actually have to flip that focus and be focused on what is not working. So what you want to do is put structure around this. It's not about being relentlessly negative. It's about intentionally inspecting what are my misses? What am I getting wrong? What targets am I missing? And what's the most important to address? So on a regular basis, ideally weekly, you're doing a stack rank of the top three misses, whether they're personal development, numbers, or something else. And you're not only executing on fixes, you're talking to your manager about what they are and how you're seeking to address them. Well, one of our top three misses today is Stevie, I believe we are missing your third takeaway. So could you please provide? You got it. Okay, number three, do the boss's job. And if you want to move up in an organization, this is the number one thing you can do. So it's a two-step. Step one, you cannot be the linchpin in your team's work. If your team is coming to you one-on-one -on -one to solve all their problems and give them information, that will not allow you to scale. You've got to identify those bottlenecks, write a document, allow them to help themselves, Point them at somebody else in the organization to answer their questions. Don't do things one-on-one. -on -one. If you create the machine that helps itself, you remove yourself as the linchpin. That frees you up to figure out what does my boss care about. Every level up in the organization, managers are trying to seek solutions to problems in the business. You've got to go do discovery with your boss. Understand what are the problems they're trying to solve? What are the main things on their mind? And then don't wait for them to assign you a project. Figure out how to go solve those problems. If you can step in and solve problems for your boss, you are on the path to moving up. I love that. I'm coming back to burn downs, Stevie. <laughs> I think this burn down idea is really good. So listen, you got a big team at Vanta. It's not taking you an hour to burn through every open deal at the end of the month. Like, how are you managing this thing with a big squad? We do have a lot of open deals at the end of the month. So what we do tactically is do an export from Salesforce, stick it in a spreadsheet so it's simple and there's no hiding. In that spreadsheet, you've got the name of the deal, the revenue attached to the deal, and the name of the rep, and then a column for notes for that day. Stack rank top to bottom by size. And on the call, you're coaching the team to say, you're going to give an update. It's going to be extremely brief, but it better answer the key questions. Is this deal getting done? What's blocking it? Do you need help? And what's the next thing that has to happen? They should be writing an update in that column that's two to three sentences. And then the next day, it's a fresh column. So it is rapid fire. I call it the lightning round internally. Like we go through these deals one by one. You get as deep as you can in 30 minutes. The next day, you pull the deals off the sheet that either pushed or closed, and you start with your fresh list. I love that. And then listen, I think that this is one of those things where a rep could look at this and be like, this is busy work. Like this doesn't help me at all. I already know what's going on with my deal. So how do you sell your reps on the value of this burn down for them? Well, the truth is they, there is a lot of resistance out of the gate, but once they do it, they start to understand the value because it's uncomfortable. You're standing up in front of your peers, you're representing the status of your deal and people learn by doing, you get in there. And if you've got deals on the sheet that actually aren't going to close in the period, you've got to admit that in front of your peers and it doesn't feel great, but it forces the rigor. And the truth is you'll start to identify things out of that where the team can help you. So one thing you're looking for is for the reps to say, I'm stuck here. I don't know what to do next. It's okay to say, I don't know how to progress the deal. I'm stuck. And then the team's job, the leader's job is to help you figure out how to unstick. It. Maybe it's a legal issue. Maybe you're stuck on something with pricing or terms or competition, but the mission here is like, how do we help you unblock? And once you see that enough, the reps start to relax. They start to understand this is about rigor and also about helping you get your deals done. 
How many reps do you have on the Vanta team? So across the global business today, we've got roughly 50 reps and that's the visibility of it. So you want to be on the top of the big deals list. And yeah, it comes with scrutiny and it comes with people inspecting your deal alongside you and your entire team watching it. But it's actually the big group dynamic that drives that excitement. It drives competition, it feels like a little bit of a leaderboard. It gets the team also engaged in rooting for you. So we're seeing reps help other reps. There's no reason for them to do it. They have no skin in the game or no comp tied to it, but you'll see a rep go, oh, I know somebody at that company and like I could help or like, oh, I did this thing on my deal to solve the problem you're facing. Let me share that with you. So you start to see that cross collaboration it comes back to getting yourself out as a linchpin. So the big group setting is actually an important part of why this works. I'm curious, Stevie, outside of this meeting, knowing you have this many reps, you have 50 reps within your organization. There's no way that you are personally managing all of these reps. So earlier in the quarter or earlier in the month, how are you inspecting or getting involved in the deals, which are probably earlier in pipeline at this point? This is all about the structure, right? So we run a very structured process for how we uh, do our forecast on a weekly basis. We are on a monthly cadence, so we have to run that forecast in a really tight way. We've got structure so our frontline leaders know exactly what we expect in terms of deal inspection, how things rise to the top. So on a weekly basis, I'm inspecting the top deals by size, and I'm expecting the managers to be able to speak to the details of that deal because I expect them to be involved in those larger deals. If they can't articulate the details, that's a flag for me that something is wrong, but it's all about creating the structure at each level and evolving the level of detail that you're asking for. And then when it comes to my involvement, my expectation is that reps should involve executive sponsors earlier. I think the cardinal mistake everybody makes is you wait until the deal's stuck or it's like, I'm trying to get a signature today, so I need this executive ping. That's better than not doing it, but it's actually significantly better if you make the executive connection earlier in the cycle. And that allows a relationship to build, puts me in a position to be able to actually help instead of just sending a random email to somebody that has not yet heard of me. How do you not create like a culture of people dependent on executives to close deals? Because we need reps to just close deals. Yeah, absolutely. One aspect of this is that you've got to have your entire leadership team and your entire organization bought in on the importance of this type of engagement in the customer relationship. Like you got to engage the whole organization in the effort. That's one part of the mission. And the other is, as leaders, we've just got to do whatever our team is asking us to do. I would way rather they be asking me too much than not enough. I have not yet mm. run into that problem that they're too dependent. Yes, we always challenge them to get more creative. It can get a little lazy if it's just like, oh, the solution to unblock is just an executive email. There have to be other solutions, but that's a long term game of teaching them all the various ways to unblock deals. You know, I tell my team, I would way rather be on every call, any call, deal of any size. I'm never going to get upset about that. Where I'm going to start to dial up my expectations is around preparation, around strategy. And this is where you can start to up the game. So I'll get on any call anytime, but I want you to have a good handle on the deal. Tell me why I'm there and what you need me to accomplish on that call. Like, how can I actually help you? Stevie, could you give one or two examples of how you might work with your CRO. What are the best ways to do this without you just being a second sales rep and stepping on your rep's toes? The most important thing you can do is set exactly that expectation out of the gate and keep it simple. So it's great if you have a huge briefing doc, but ultimately 
your CRO needs to know what is the one thing you want her to do on that phone call. And if we accomplish that, the call is a success. So maybe it is drive discovery. Maybe it's ask for a meeting with a specific more senior leader, ask for the close, whatever it is, just be ultra clear about it. And any ask is okay. It's the clarity that will drive that motion where we're not stepping on each other. And the other is just like provide a little bit more context on who the people are. I think reps tend to over index on all the facts and figures of like, here's where we're at and the deal. And that's great. I'm a little more interested on who's on the call. Why are they there? And what it, what do you want my relationship to them to be? So it's a little more of the human aspect because to your point, like the CRO isn't a sales rep. So like, you're not asking them to come help work deal mechanics. It's like, what are you seeking from the senior relationship that you're not able to get done yourself? I love the concept of flipping it because we all tend to gravitate towards good news, especially when it's about us and ignore or push to the side, the bad news. So I think like it's makes people nervous, Stevie to accentuate the bad news. How do you how did you come to the point where you're like, "Hey, that's actually where I'm going to live is in the bad news?" Like I think people need to understand the mindset and your journey to get there because that's not as easy as it sounds. You want your team to feel like you're, they're winning, but you've got to be honest with them as well. So I think when you're communicating to your ICs, you want to strike a balance that's more positive than negative, lots of recognition, storytelling, and then a recognition of where the misses are and misses within your team, within the rest of the org, you want to find that balance, but you know, you want to go more positive than negative messaging up is a very different story. So when you're managing uh, the relationship with your manager, your boss, your executive team, then it's great. You want to celebrate some wins, but really what they're looking for is 80% what's wrong and what are you doing about it? Because they want to know you can see it. If they don't believe that you see the problem or you're in denial about it, it makes them nervous. It makes them focus on it. They can't relax. Part of your job is to free your leaders from having to think about your problem set. If they can trust you're on it, they're going to let you execute and you're going to come back and report. They won't expect perfection. Nobody expects every problem to be fixed. They just want to know you're on it. There's always stuff that's not working, but if you just acknowledge it and then think about like, how, how can I address it? How can I take ownership of it and make it better with the things I can control? Everything changes. Stevie, I want to dig in on this a little bit more because this is a common mistake that I made. And Mark, I shared this with you earlier where there might be a miss and I would be still rah-rah trying to keep my team positive, but that's not the message that needs to go up. Your CEO... Yeah or your other department leads, they need to know that you understand the problem. And by doing what you're doing, what you're able to say is we're gonna focus on outbound. And despite the fact that we're doing everything that we're controlling, right? We're closing this gap, but still this is the place that we need help. By focusing on what you can control, you have the right to say, these are the things that we need help with. My question for you is how do you balance this with your reps? So my guess is there's been one quarter or another where there was that one extra deal on the burndown that flipped to a push or flipped to a closed loss, and it didn't come in the way that you expected it did, or you know the team didn't perform the way that they needed to do. How do you strike the balance between raking your team over coals and delusional optimism when you're trying to have a reset moment with your team? Yeah, the market is different than it was two years ago. It's different than the market a lot of us grew up in. So one challenge I think a lot of leaders face is they're delivering numbers, 
but the targets still reflect the past reality. So there's this balance of like, we're doing well, but are we doing well enough? And there's a gap there. And, you know, this is actually a mistake I made for a period of time at Vanta. And it was like, we're crushing it. And we we did miss here, but I underemphasized that. And I really went to like, hey, we're, I know we missed on this number, but like, we're still killing it. And what was funny was it came back in the feedback survey from the reps. It was like, why are you so positive? And why aren't you acknowledging the miss? So it was a good lesson for me to say like, yeah, the reps want to be pumped up, but they also want the truth. Mm. Like they want the truth and they feel better similar to your leaders, they feel better knowing you're on it and that you see it and you're not just sweeping it under the rug. So it is that fine line. It's like, what's going well? And then I think the key to recognizing the misses is then breaking down what you're doing about it and being really verbal about that with the team. And that's going to be a combination of what do you expect of your team that they didn't do last quarter and you know, we're, we did this with one of our teams over the last quarter. It was like, okay, here's the gap we need to fill in H2. And let's break down by the numbers what we need you to do. We need you to sell more of this product. We need you to raise ACV here by this percentage point. And if you do all that, the number is actually attainable, but those are the actions. So making it concrete and then also giving them more exposure to what the rest of the business is doing to fill their own gaps. So they know somebody's on it. You got the confidence so they can just focus on the work they have to do instead of pointing the finger at everybody else. So there are a lot of teams right now that are going through the motion, which is as of the date of this recording, it is October 26th. For a lot of teams, that's the end of their Q3 if they have a fiscal that ends in January. And a lot of VPs of sales, CROs, et cetera, are trying to rally their teams for a big Q4. You talked a lot about the math behind growth or the math behind a big quarter. I'm curious when you're heading into a big Q4 or a big year end, what are the rhythms, rituals, or things that you're doing with your team to kick off a big quarter? Yeah. I mean, part of it is really just setting the milestone. So we're heading into Q4. Here's where we stand. Here's what we've got to go. Breaking that then down to the expectations. I think as leaders, we sometimes get a little too obsessed with telling the big picture story. And the AEs are like, great. <laughs> like, I don't know what this means for me. My life has not changed. I'm still doing the same work. So I think it's incumbent on us to break it down to the specific expectations. And for me, that means really focusing on the actions that drive success. And I think about this a lot with performance management as well, because we all know there are great reps who sometimes don't have the outcome you expect. They might have an off quarter. They might miss the number. What I want to know is that they are nailing the contributing actions that we know lead to success because I know in the long time, it's going to lead them there. So for me, I think most problems in sales come back to discovery, right? So comes back to like, are you actually asking the right questions and uncovering the correct information that's going to help you actually get the deal to close? So this is a big focus for me right now. And it's not just like, how do you do great discovery? You can't just tell people, ask more questions. Or did you ask him why? Or like, did you check all the boxes on MedPick? It's not enough. You've got to be relentless. Things like discovery and the other actions, like doing great personalized outbound. These are art forms. It's not like good or bad. It's not binary. It's something that every great rep has to improve on incrementally. It's like the Atomic Habits 1% a day. You got to constantly and relentlessly be getting better. So practice that, inspect it as leaders, we're focused on that because especially early in quarter, 
those contributing actions can still drive outcomes within the quarter. So focus there and you'll get better outcomes. It's funny. I'm talking to a lot of leaders right now that I think are having an awakening to leading metrics. And they're realizing that lagging metrics like ARR attainment are hugely complex systems that have so many variables that they're very difficult to control. But if I can bring it back to leading metrics and say, you can control this. You can control the number of dials you make as an SDR every day. Nothing keeps you from doing that, right? You can control how deep you ask discovery questions. Like nothing stops you from doing that. Stevie, when you're like looking at your org and you're thinking about leading metrics, like what, what are a couple that are really important to you that might be a little bit off the beaten path for most people? Oh my gosh, yeah, this is a great one. And like, honestly, really leaning in on discovery because I feel like that's so critical. You know, at Vanta, we are a high velocity, high volume business. I can't be on every discovery call, every manager can't be. But the beauty of this moment is that it's radically different in that we can now leverage AI and we can now leverage great tools to turn things that used to be sort of these esoteric art forms into something scorable. And so I am very bullish right now on leaning into these behaviors and how we quantify what great looks like, turning that into a score that can be delivered programmatically that then you can add color commentary on top of. So Discovery, what we're doing right now is we, as a sales leadership team, have got together. We all did a manual process to score a number of discovery calls. We then compared notes and scores. We refined our methodology. We went through that several times. We've now built a scorecard where we know exactly what we want to hear on a great discovery call. We've built that into our engine, into Gong, so our discovery calls will get automatically scored. And the reps are going to see every time, where'd you miss? What'd you do well? Like, what does great look like? And here's how you measure up. I really think you can start to quantify a lot more that we haven't in the past. So like dials are great and all these, like, those are definitely metrics we lean into, those first leading activity metrics. We can now quantify quality and score it. And I think that's the next frontier of really driving great outcomes. Uh-oh. Armand, <laughs> AI alert, AI alert. Somebody <laughs> talked about AI. I know, I can't wait. We're, we're I'm totally distracted now with AI. So <laughs> I think one of the holy grails is all the data says that reps that are coached well perform better. The number one thing that sales managers don't do is coach reps. I mean, let's just get serious. Like it's so hard to find time. Like, are you seeing a couple tools out there you want to give a little sneak peek to? Are you are you into getting into like a little bit of what you're doing with Gong? Like if we can get AI to give us 80% good call coaching on every single call and get metrics on it, boy, I'm telling you, like it's going to be a very different job being a sales leader. I just saw a demo of a tool yesterday and it was essentially this. It was AI powered real time sales call coaching. And it was a custom Zoom client. So you're on the call, you're in your same client you're normally in. You can have your gong or other tools recording your call. But in a sidebar, the AI was picking up on what you were talking about and it was bringing up relevant case studies. It was bringing up like relevant talking points and objection handling. And this was happening in real time. So the sales rep could actually leverage it during the call. And I really believe this is the future because one, you're right. Like a lot of managers don't lean into coaching because time is so limited. But the other reality is like coaching, you can only do so much. There's like the day-to-day -day practice of the life of being on 
calls day after day after day, and you've got to have real-time reinforcement, and that can only be done at scale by technology. I'm very bullish on AI, extremely bullish on it, but I don't believe the intent is to replace the humans. My goal is to make them 50%, 100% better and more productive with AI. And then sales managers, the bar is raised and they focus on the higher order stuff. So it allows the humans to get higher order and more thoughtful. And the mechanics of, did you hit all of MedPick? Did you cover your bases? Did you do basic objection handling? The machines can do that for us as long as we've set the baseline. So that's where I'm headed with it. Ideally, what a machine should be able to do over time is so much of management today is figuring out what you should be coaching to by literally being like, tell me what's happened in each stage, tell me every letter of med pick, and I'm gonna figure out which one's missing. And ideally what can happen is it will just show you what's missing and you can start there instead. In order to do this right today in a sales organization, you need to have a basic sales process set up and a basic framework for coaching a discovery call as a sum of its parts, which means you probably have a section around agenda, asking good questions, setting next steps, et cetera. If I wanted to have the starter kit for this type of thing, what does your call coaching starter kit look like that I could eventually feed into a gong or any other call recording platform? Number one, you've got to have some kind of value-based selling framework that the organization is aligned around. That is one. And you know, a lot of organizations do, not everybody does. If your organization does not have one, you can implement your own. And, you know, I'm agnostic here. I think there are a lot of great frameworks out there. You know, we ended up, after I joined Vanta, we brought in force management. We did command to the message. We became a med pick shop. I'm a big fan. Um, it's worked very well for us. And it was the first time we really organized our sales process in that way. It also aligned us across the company around the value-based messaging. It just transformed mm -hmm. our sales cycle. But that's not a one-time event. You don't just go, boom, it's command of the message, med pick, like go. Like it's an ongoing reinforcement process. You have to be constantly training on it. It is the underlying framework, but the training will go forever. Every time we launch a new product, we launch it in that framework. That's the baseline. So that's something, if your company doesn't have it, you as an individual frontline leader, you can implement your own. You're giving your team that clear list of here's what I expect to hear on every call, and then you you make it real concrete for them. So we actually ended up developing a quantified scorecard and we captured in that the five characteristics of activity and other things in addition to just closing ARR that we think make a great rep. The revenue they close is 50% of the score, but then there's like how much of their uh, pipeline is self-sourced? How, how many outbound opportunities did they create? What's their average contract value? So are they driving larger deals because they're talking about the platform story instead of just some point solution messaging? So we quantified those components of what makes a great rep and that's now the gold standard. So yeah, it matters how much ARR you close, but the other things matter too. And I think mm -hmm. you can do that with any part of your cycle. You just gotta pick your framework, commit, measure it, and then consistently enforce. And that, that's the key is so many sales leaders do something new every year. Yeah. And some of this stuff takes a year just to take root. It's a multi-year journey. You know, we're about 16 months into it now. And I feel like we're still at the beginning. We have covered the basics. And now it's like, how do we weave it into the next layer of how we operate, how we measure, how we inspect deals. And we're just going to keep going with that. But that is not a, a project that will ever be complete. Boom. 
Well, unfortunately, Stevie, I wish this could be an episode that would never be complete, but it is 30 minutes to President's <laughs> Club. So the final question that we ask as part of every framework for 30 minutes to President's Club episodes is as follows. What is one bad habit that every sales leader in the world should break today that would make all sales teams a little bit better? Drop the ego. That's the biggest one. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the success of what you're doing. You know, we have all grown up in this wild growth at all costs environment. Do not ever become convinced that you are somehow greater than others. Like every single job is hard. Every single team and business is subject to the laws of physics. Come to it every day from a first principles mindset drop the ego and just dig in. Boom. Alrighty, folks. Amazing show, Stevie. Everyone hang on for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Cheers. Did you know that 60% of proposals are viewed on a mobile device, which means if you're sending a tech stock or a slide deck, the formatting is going to look really ugly and you're going to make a bad impression. Luckily, our friends at Quiller are here to help. Quiller pages are built on the web, which means they're mobile responsive and they actually look good on a cell phone. And Quiller is having an offer right now to upgrade your proposal from an ugly tech stock to a Quiller page for free. So you can see what your boring proposal looks like as a beautiful Quiller page. There is a link in the show notes to take advantage of the offer. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive there's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's sales email tip is brought to you by Lavender. If you want to get more replies to your sales emails, try removing exclamation points and question marks from your email subject lines. They cause open rates to plummet. Instead, make the subject line feel internal. It should be short, one to three words, and it should showcase the topic of the email, but also be about them. We sat down with Lavender and built a sales email framework guide with emails for every step of your sales process. And there is a link in the show notes to get it for free. All right, Mark. What'd you think? Listen, Stevie's one of my favorite people on the planet. I've, I've met her a few times and we've got to become friends. And I think that what makes her great is she really balances some traditional concepts like first principles and things like that, but does it in a modern people first way that really helps people get behind her. I have several ex reps that work in her organization and I text her all the time. I'm like, you better not become their favorite sales leader because I think she's that good. I was thinking the exact same thing, which is the way that she just ended the interview was talking about, okay, if you're going to roll out MedPick or Command of the Message, do it the right way. But that means you train it once, and then that framework lives everywhere. It lives in your pipe mm -hmm. reviews, your deal reviews, the way you jump on calls, your call coaching, 
everything. So the fundamentals are rock solid, but does things that incorporate the people side of things, like the burn down. And she has these little things that get the team excited. So she's clearly coaching the psychological part of her team, but is also just fundamentally rock solid in terms of how she actually gets her team to operate at scale. It's hard to strike that balance between process and how you communicate with your team because process takes time and effort and dedication. And so does communicating with your team and figuring out how to balance like, okay, we're going to create process around that daily burn down, but we're going to do it in a way that creates momentum and excitement and accountability at the same time. Like it's just that new think about how you're going to do something, you can just say, hey, we're going to have a daily burn down. Everybody's going to read their stuff. And after like two or three months of doing that, it goes away because nobody likes it. It's not helping anybody or it becomes an institutional part of your sales rhythm because it's so awesome. Well, speaking of process, folks, a little while ago, Mark and I put together a playbook episode on how you can do deal reviews, pipeline reviews, et cetera. And we put together a process for managing your sales stages and also doing amazing deal reviews. So that will be linked in the show notes. Why don't you go grab that thing as well? And we will catch you on the next episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.